The journey from being a Black Hawk helicopter operator serving his country to serial entrepreneur to CEO might seem unlikely. But for Michael Connolly, CEO of Sonobi, it all makes perfect sense. Michael joins the AW360 podcast today to discuss his career path, Sonobi's unique place in the industry, and give some insight into what might be coming down the road. I hope you enjoy this episode. Michael Connolly, welcome to the AW360 podcast. Thank you, Richard. So you are CEO of Sonobi. Tell me a little bit about Sonobi and what you guys do. Yeah, so um, Sonobi is really a supply chain company. Uh, we started back in 2012, 2013, and um, uh, we started and were uh, sort of the pioneers of the technology uh, now is pretty much table stakes, which is header bidding. And uh, we started that uh, really uh, in partnership with MediaMath in a goal to try and get more inventory into the auction. Auction. So historically, all of the inventory was kind of relegated to you know remnant inventory, and it would go through this waterfall system inside of an ad server. And we thought, well, if we could horizontally integrate with that ad server, um, you know, we could compete all the way up the all the way up the chain, maybe even to the first impression. So. Um, you know, from there, we, we were able to grow, uh, you know, very quickly. And I would say since then have been on a, you know, sort of uh, journey of how to be, you know, the best supply chain company in the industry with all the twists and turns uh, that have occurred since then. And ultimately, um, you know, I'd say that's, that's our sweet spot, which is technology innovation around uh, the supply chain of the ecosystem. So if the industry was, um, you know, about sort of delivering packages, we're, you know, we're the FedEx truck that brings it to the door. Excellent. And so that's, that's roughly 10 years. Uh, what yeah. sort of changes have you seen in, in your evolution from, from 2012, 2013 to today? Yeah. Wow. Um, I'd say there's probably, you know, probably three really big ones, you know, the first one would be um, header bidding becoming table stakes and sort of what that meant. So every, you know, every SSP that had a demand side marketplace tried to go from the tag and ad server to tag on page. And that really created um, a, a variety of challenges for the publisher. Who should I partner with? How do I manage all of these partners? So there was an evolution towards um, sort of an open source wrapper that managed all of these relationships. So for us, we used to work, you know, all by our lonesome with the publisher and the header. And then suddenly there were other partners there. And then there was an open source project like Prebid um, and some others that started at the time that you would, you know, you would have to integrate with or organize through. So that sort of changed things from a product perspective. And of course, how you would go to market and how you would serve the publisher. That would probably be one of the, one of the um, big changes early on. Um, another big change is I think the shift to the demand side from supply for supply path optimization. So what we've seen now where, uh, you know, typically the publisher or the other partners on the supply side would more dictate um, how supply partners would access demand. What we're seeing now is more of the demand side sort of deciding what supply path the advertiser is going to use. And I think from that perspective, it certainly requires the, you know, the supply chain company to straddle both the product needs and the needs of the, of the supply side. And then of course the product needs of the demand side in order to figure out which supply partner is the most efficient path. So that sort of changed, I think, 
the customer base a little bit where you think of DSPs more like agencies in a way um, that have product needs um, and need to be uh, served as, as, a, as a high priority client. And then I think the third category of change would be all the, all the disruption we've seen around the, uh, the, the tools we use to target consumers on the open web. Uh, with Google's browser policies around cookie changes, third-party cookies to be specific. So if I, me- I mentioned, you know, we're the, we're the truck that delivers the, the, the package in the last mile. Well, the trucks that we use are kind of leased from Google uh, in that they're a, um, you know, they control the, the browser policy, the third-party cookie. And in, in the United States, Chrome being the dominant web browser, you know, this is a massive impact. So this idea of, you know, how stable is the supply chain if it's completely made up of third-party cookies um, has been, you know, call it the, the, the latest change. So I'd say those would be the three big massive categories that we've had to adjust to over the years. Excellent. And so Sonobi recently acquired Ampli. What was behind that? You know, what did Ampli provide that you as Sonobi really thought you would love to integrate? And, and how does that sort of further Sonobi's value proposition in the marketplace? Yeah, I think so. It's probably a reaction to the last two things I mentioned, which is the shift to the DSP side mm-hmm. um, and the um, and the concern about the stabilization of, of, of the supply chain. So I'll, with those two lenses, I'll kind of give you the thesis around Ampli. So Ampli is a uh, push notification platform. So ultimately what it does for both um, its owned and operated properties um, and uh, third-party publishers is it provides um, a subscription service. So when a, when a consumer arrives at a publisher's site, they're able to subscribe to that content, and then they can receive notifications about that content to come back and can consume more content similar to that. Um, they can receive notifications that are um, driving them to other content, and they can receive notifications that are advertorial in nature. So that, that push notification platform uh, had uh, over 130 million subscribers. And along with those subscribers came, you know, very stable subscription IDs. So I think for, for two reasons, we really like this platform. You know, one, it gave us a channel. Uh, if you think about uh, advertising channels like display, video, mobile app, and um, CTV, there's, a, there's an additional channel that we believe is scaling. And that's around these one-to-one conversations with consumers. So push notifications. Um, so we believe that, you know, that channel could be a, a new and valuable way for publishers to monetize their inventory and give advertisers a new and exciting way to reach their consumer base. So for that reason, we, we really liked the way it connected our DSP partnerships with our publishers. And then the second reason is there's, you know, it creates more stabilization inside of the supply chain. Now, you know, 120, 130 million users it's not going to solve the problem of third-party cookies completely, but I think you know our approach at Sinobi has been one of a portfolio approach where you certainly are going to have some third-party cookies in there. Um, you're going to have a lot of the identity providers like LiveRamp, um, Identity Link, Brightpool, and others. Uh, but then there's there's a first-party relationship that we wanted to introduce with the consumer in that portfolio to stabilize the supply chain. So although our supply chain is not completely uh, comprised of first party relationships with consumers, certainly a big chunk of it is now uh, with the Ampli acquisition. So for for those reasons, um, we thought it made a lot of sense. 
And fair to say that the acquisition itself has helped Sanobi future proof for you know their their presence in the marketplace. Yeah, I think that's right. And there's a lot of questions. And of course, anyone who's raised any money, um, gone through any process around acquisition over the last two years um, has been asked, what are you going to do uh, when third-party cookies go away? Now, we're not entirely sure they will. And certainly a, a likely outcome could be that Google has them remain in some form or fashion. But um, there is a big question about the uncertainty of what's going to happen with third-party cookies. So for us, just sort of creating an anchor within our supply chain that simply wasn't third-party cookies uh, was was a big step towards answering that question kind of emphatically for our company um, and for anyone in the future that may ask. Great segue into my next question. Uh, So with all of this uncertainty, what do you see the industry looking like five, 10 years down the road? I think um, if I were to follow out the trend, I think we're certainly seeing a lot less supply partners in the equation period. I think we sort of uh, expanded the number of partners. And now with DSP sort of getting closer with specific supply partners and publishers as, as well, I think we're going to see a contraction of the number of uh, supply partners that power the supply chain, which I think is a great thing for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I think we're going to see is a, a much more distributed uh, reliance on third-party IDs like cook- like cookies um, and things of that nature and a, and a, and a flight towards a much closer relationship with the consumer. And I think supply chains and publishers that have, if you were to think about a sort of a closeness, the ones that are closer to a first party relationship with the consumer are going to benefit from all of the different data privacy laws that are coming around because you can only operate within these data privacy changes is if you have the ability to ask the consumer to comply. And if you're kind of downstream of that, you're at the mercy of whatever's upstream of you. And I think um, the trend we're going to see is 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 a much closer relationship with the consumer, even at the supply chain level, much better uh, stable IDs and a lot flu- fewer supply partners that are powering the ecosystem. Oh, Michael, this is this is all fascinating. The other question I want to ask you is, you know, going over your bio, you're a self-described serial entrepreneur. Sir, it's sadly but true. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> But you, you also, once upon a time, were a Black Hawk helicopter operator. I got to know, how does one go from Black Hawk helicopter operator <laughs> to serial entrepreneur to where you are today? That's that's a fascinating journey to me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, when I look back at it, it certainly is. I think for me, you know, growing up um, as a, uh, a kid with limited resources in Massachusetts, I, I, I wanted to... Um, I desperately wanted to carve my own path. And if you think of, uh, you know, if you were to ask me at 10 year old, 10 years old, what do you want to be? It's, I want to be exactly what I am right now. Um, but the path to get here was certainly a complicated one. And I think the first step was, um, you know, building a foundation of education, um, you know, and, and sort of building a foundation of capabilities that could put me in a position to, to, to have an impact as an entrepreneur. So, in college, um, you know, my my gateway to even affording college was um, was joining the military. So I initially joined um, the military uh, as an enlisted soldier and got a green to gold scholarship. Became an officer, and they they sent me to school and and paid for it, which was fantastic. 
Um, and then at the end of that period, I, I owed the military some time and, um, you know, I, I, I love this country and everything it's done for me and, and certainly was all too happy to serve it. And fortunately, I was assessed uh, into the aviation program. And, um, you know, this is circa 2003, 2004. So mm -hmm. gainfully employed at the time in terms of uh, combat operations around the world uh, that were in need of, um, of those types of services. So spent, spent a lot of time, um, you know, in my 20s learning a lot about leadership um, and, and a lot about myself. When my time was up, um, it was it was time to take everything I'd done and kind of take a shot at, at, at going out on my own, um, which, you know, was the plan all along. I just had a different sort of journey to get there. And, and um, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, you look at a lot of different things, uh, opportunity, um, you know, where, where, where can you have the biggest impact? And, um, you know, for me, we started this software company. Um, it, it were a lot of twists and turns in starting it. And ultimately I would, I would say Sanobi as, as, as a company that, you know, it today was certainly not the original idea. Um, but, but I think what I've learned as an entrepreneur is these things, you know, they twist and, um, and grow over time. Uh, and, and the key it's a little bit like cave diving, right? You start and say, okay, I'm going to go through these series of caves to get out. Um, but you don't really know until you get in there. And, and that's the entrepreneurial part and no plan survives first contact with the enemy. So we just kind of, you know, sorted it out and, um, and, and became what we are today. But I think there's a lot of analogies to answer your question more specifically about aviation and ad tech. We used to play this game called I'm a little drop of fuel. How do I get from the uh, from the from the fuel system up to the rotor blade? So it forced you to learn the systems of the mm -hmm. aircraft. Um, you know, there's very few people that can draw how an impression gets from you know a creative studio to a publisher's page. And I think we at Sanobi and my co-founder Justin, who's also was in my flight school class, um, you know, we really pride ourselves on understanding that. And I think the only way you can innovate and create a product like header bidding is if you really understand the the, you know, the systems and the capabilities of it, because then you can really innovate. So I think there's a lot of analogies to kind of being technical and sort of systems engineering mindset um, from aviation that, that relates to ad tech, because ad tech's very hard from a technology stack perspective. It's a very complicated um, thing uh, to, to, to engineer and to scale. So uh, I could go on for an hour about that exact question, but <laughs> I would say, um, yeah, just a lot of that training was very useful to me. That was absolutely an amazing answer. Thank you for that. Uh, Michael, you know, if um, people want to find out more about Sanobi, where should they go? Yeah, you can check us out. Um, Sanobi.com. Uh, you know, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Love to figure out a way we can work together. Um, and uh, of course, we have our press contacts too uh, that, that, that you can reach out to. But uh, we're not hard to find. It's a small, uh, small group in our industry. And, um, you know, we're, uh, we're around. Oh, Michael Connolly, thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more content like this and to find out about Advertising Week's world-leading global events for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries, be sure to visit www.advertisingweek.com.